This is a Founding Media podcast. This podcast episode is brought to you by our friends at Traverse Legal. They were helpful as we started Founding Media and the Podcast Network. With a focus on utilizing technology to better deliver IP and business law services to founders, startups, and emerging growth companies, Traverse Legal has been changing the way law is practiced since 2004. Traverse Legal's latest offering, Traverse GC, provides a monthly fixed-fee fractional general counsel offering to companies. Learn more by visiting TraverseLegal.com. Welcome to View from Venus podcast. I'm your host, Deborah Hamilton Lynn. Jessica Honiger is the founder and CEO of the socially conscious fashion collection, Noonday Collection. She is also the author of Imperfect Courage. She has helped many women put their fears on the sideline and move forward to live courageously. I'll let her tell you more. Here is my conversation with Jessica Honiger. Hi, I'm Deborah Hamilton Lynn, and you are listening to View from Venus, which is a podcast about female founders. And I'm so happy to have my friend Jessica Honiger with me. Um, we have known each other for a long time, and she is great for this podcast because she's all about empowering women. And welcome. Thank, Thank you so you. much. Thank you. It's fun to be here. She's the founder of the Noonday Collection and has a new book out, Imperfect Courage. So we're going to talk about that today. Yes. So let's start with your entrepreneurial journey, which briefly, you've always had that in your blood. I from have. your father, and you started at a very young age doing entrepreneurial things. I did. My parents tell me that I used to go pick flowers from my neighbor's <laughs> house and then come home, tie a little bow on them, and then go sell them back to my neighbor. So I've always been kind of selling things to people and starting things. How funny. <laughs> and so when you, you started Noonday kind of as... I would call it serendipity, really. It was. Um, you know, but it was something that you felt like you'd been leading to all your life, looking back. Looking it, back. You know, life makes a lot more sense in retrospect, doesn't right. it? Right. And you met your husband do, doing, was it the hunger? Food for the hungry. For so the hungry. it was development work, yeah. So you'd always done things with a mission. And, of course, Noonday is to not only help the artisans, but also to help the women that work for you as ambassadors. That's right. And as far as a circle went, with your travels for mm. your purpose-driven travels, you met a couple in uh, Uganda, Uganda yep. that introduced you to your first artisans. Yes. So tell me a little bit about kind of how the whole thing transpired. And it was also related to the adoption of your son, Jack. Yes. <laughs> So it's, it's you a long, got it. It's a you little circuitous it. journey. It's a circuitous journey, but you just really nailed a lot of the details, which can, <laughs> can get a little confusing. So yeah, my husband and I met while we were working overseas for an organization called Food for the Hungry, and we were doing development work. I was actually teaching in a very rural area in Guatemala. And while there, we really, our eyes were so open to what could be sustainable solutions to poverty. And what we noticed is that the people that we saw really emerge from poverty were those that had sort of an entrepreneurial spirit, those that were 
Um, what a good observation. That's so true. Yeah. So it wasn't just the woman who was weaving her own traditional top called a wheat peel, but she was also weaving to sell in the marketplace. Or they weren't just growing enough corn for their family, but they had built a silo to store and sell during a hard season. Mm-hmm. And we came back from that time. We, we got married. We ended up going into real estate and doing a whole bunch of random things. But always in our heart, we thought, man, we want to use our lives to create opportunity for more vulnerable people. And that is what led us to adoption. We had two biological children and decided to adopt to bring our third child into our family. And I think a lot of that came from not only the fact that I had an 11 pound child that I had at home, that will send you running to adoption very quickly. (laughs) But also this idea that, you know, we have room enough in our home for a child that doesn't have a family. And so that led us on this adoption journey, which we landed on international adoption. And we decided to adopt through a long, amazing circumstance um, uh, from Rwanda is where we ended up adopting from. International adoption is very expensive, and we were well halfway through our adoption journey. We had started the paperwork. We already knew that there was this little guy for us waiting for us in Rwanda when the real estate market crashed. And my husband and I thought we had a nice little nest egg that we were using in order to pay for all of this paperwork and all of of these things. And suddenly, that little nest egg was uh, paying the groceries. So we knew we needed to do something in order to... Um, get our son Jack home. And I had met some friends, as you mentioned, on a trip previously to Africa who had connected me with some artisans. And they said, Jessica, we've got these these very talented couple. All they needed is access to a marketplace. Why don't you sell their goods and create, you know, a marketplace for them? And I kind of rolled my eyes. I was going to say, you were a little bit uncertain. I was like, whether there was even a market for it. Well, I just thought I'm doing a lot right now. I don't have time for that. I can't put more on my plate. And I kind of just shrugged them off a little bit. And then fast forward and courage cornered me. And suddenly I'm recalling that conversation and I'm thinking, well, I could sell these things in order to um, raise money to bring Jack home. So I called them up and they actually said, yes, the stuff is still available. I dusted it off. I invited a bunch of women into my home. And even though I was completely afraid no one was going to come. And then I was completely insecure about what they were going to think about me when they did, because I was looking pretty desperate. Um, Women came and they showed up and they wanted to use their purchasing power for good. They wanted to connect with Jolia and Daniel. They also wanted to help bring um, Jack home into our family. And so I really credit women um, as the reason why Noonday exists to this day, because women showed up for me that night. There was a necklace that sold out that everybody wanted. And women said, well, I'll open my home. I'll open my home. Can you do this again? And that's really how the whole journey began is because a woman decided, you know what? My presence matters. My purchasing power matters. I'm going to show up for Jessica. And now, eight years later, Jolly and Daniel now employ 100 full-time artisans, 300 contract workers. And you saved them, really. You didn't know it at the time. I, they yeah, were, you yeah. talk about desperate. Right. I mean, I was in my own desperate financial place. They were, you know, actually in a much obviously more desperate place. They didn't have a home and they weren't able to even put meals on the table. And I, th- I think we saved each other, you know, in, in so many ways. It's because of them that I, I have a son, Jack, who is 
amazing and has completed our family. And, you know, and yes, because of our marketplace, they've been able to rise out of poverty. So it really has been holding hands together. And it, it was organic, but it was not without its hurdles. I love in the book where you talk about pawning your grandmother's jewelry. Yes, that happened. Wrong, I've done that too. Oh, <laughs> I haven't met too many of us. So, I like well, that. I didn't pawn it. I actually sold it. Okay. Uh, you okay. Know, um, so talk that would have been about, wiser. About some of, some of the, the hurdles that you faced, but you know that nine hundred dollars, yeah, kept Noonday going. How it did. did you know that you that? How did you believe in Noonday enough to do that? You know, um, I was a woman on a mission. And I think that when you find that thing that you care about more than anything else, you begin to care about your cares. You begin to steward those things that you care about. And for me, it really was born out of this. Um, we have a son. We, in, in a, what, uh, what does a mom do for her children? Anything, everything, right? We do whatever it takes in order to care for our kids. And even though we hadn't met this little guy or, or actually knew him or even seen a photo of him, he was he was pregnant. I was pregnant in a way, right? So I was going to do whatever it took. So that was definitely the original initial drive. But then along the way, Jolly and Daniel, they start hiring people because they don't need they need more than their their hands, their forehands. They needed to hire more people. And so then suddenly they're telling me. We just, we just met this guy, Bukenya. He's been homeless his whole life. He grew up in an orphanage and he's got real talent. We just hired him. Well, then suddenly Bukenya's future is now linked to mine. And so I think when you begin to link your success with other people's, the stakes get high. And it's not easy to quit on that. Right. You well, can like, quit when on you yourself, have other people but, depending on you. Yeah, you, know. yeah you, don't, you don't quit on other people. And I think that is really what has enabled me to this day to continue to um, drive for growth, to drive past all of the challenges that come from, you know, starting a company is one thing. In some ways, I'm a starter. Entrepreneurs are starters. We're not often finishers. So for me, the challenge has been to stick with this and, you know, to take the long view and to really understand that um, there are so many more people in the world that we want to create opportunity for. There's so many women here in America. We have around 2000 ambassadors now, but why can there not be 10,000? You know, why not? This creates an income opportunity for women while it connects them to that care and that purpose. And there's, you know, I think there's a million people alone in Austin. So why would we not, you know, really want to dominate the marketplace in, in this area? Well, talk to me a little bit about your growth, because you're one of the fastest growing companies in the United States. You've gotten you've won lots of awards. And I'm so proud of you Thank for doing you. that because you. you've really grown even since we first talked. Well, yeah, we have we have grown a lot. And in fact, you know, I look back, we, we got so much press the year that, that you and I met, and that is the year that we made um, Inc.'s 45th fastest growing company in the nation. Right. We did go through a time where our growth was stalled a little bit and it, we were actually still growing, but because we had not predicted well how much we would grow, we got ourselves into an inventory bind. And then our cash was tied up in inventory, which is a huge no-no for businesses. That's that's the number one thing that puts businesses under is uh, cash problems. Mm -hmm. So thankfully, at that point, we were stable enough as a business to get a line of credit from a bank. And we began to use that line of credit to pre-order products from our artisan partners because we didn't just want to stop ordering, even though we clearly didn't need any. I think at one point I could have clothed America and some of our necklaces. And that was a real pivotal point for me, like I said, learning how to stick with it. Because during that time, I thought, OK, was this just like a one hit wonder for a few years? 
And, you know, that's when I, I realized, you know what? No, we have linked arms with people. And, you know, the, the stresses that my friends and our artisan partners go through in these vulnerable communities really, you know, pales in comparison to some of the stresses we go through here. And so I wanted to match their tenacity. I wanted to match their perseverance. And um, I wanted to commit to them, not just for when things were looking good and we made Ink Magazine, but, you know, for the long haul. And um, yeah, now we have around 60 employees and probably what I'm most proud of right now is, you know, I mean, I'm proud of many things, but our noonday team is in such a great spot. We have a such strong executive team and directors in place. And, you know, at one point we were just kind of this giant growing amoeba building the plane while it's flying. And I think we've been able to kind of stop and um, really be intentional about how we grow and make sure that our foundation is in place because we really want to kind of uptick that growth again. And we actually are. We had our biggest month ever of ambassadors joining um, recently. Okay. Yeah, that's great. Well, that's one thing that has come into place. And one thing that makes you different is you have now solidified your idea of the ambassador program and how it works and how it works for women. So talk to me a little bit about why you chose to go that route, first yeah. of all, yeah. and how it, how it works as far as empowering women. And you connect your ambassadors with your artisans, yes. which I think is so, so important. It's so powerful. They have a personal connection to the product. They truly do. And we love, for our ambassadors that are our top sellers and our top leaders in our organization, they actually get to be rewarded with the opportunity to travel to Uganda or Ecuador or Guatemala or Haiti. And we actually go and we have a great time and they get to meet these people that are their partners really in their business. And so that is one of our big gifts. But, you know, we are a storytelling brand and our products tell a story and, you know, our products have soul. And when you put on a pair of our earrings or one of our necklaces, I, I truly believe that you feel connected to the hands behind those pieces. And it's really hard to be a storytelling brand sitting on a shelf in a store. And so we really empower women to be the storytellers behind the brand, to be the advocates. To be and I would voice. think that would be make it fun at the trunk show. That's so much fun, especially for someone like you, because you are a storyteller. <laughs> you are a storyteller. <laughs> you should become an ambassador. Uh, uh, we'll talk about that. Okay, okay. <laughs> So, yeah, it is. And it really is fun. And I think, you know, there are so many direct sales businesses. And I mean, it's been around since I think um, Tupperware was probably right. the first. But we really are the first and the leader in being a storytelling brand in the direct sales space. We are the largest in the fair trade space. We're the largest accessories brand in the world. And um, in the fashion space, we really are one of the pioneers at saying, let's peel back a little bit and look at who's making our products. So you talk about, in your book, you talk about prompts from the universe. Yes. And I have a feeling it was a prompt from the universe that led you to write the book. So tell me what the prompt from the universe was that led you to write the book. So I appreciate that you would think that. And <laughs> <laughs> I do consider myself a spiritual person. I honestly, I, the book, I wish I could tell you I had this like burning fire in my soul. I've always wanted to just write and really 
you know, let this story out. Um, I really approached a little bit more from a strategic perspective. I think there's something very important about a book. Books have changed my life. I went through several years feeling very alone in my entrepreneurial journey, especially as a working mom. And it was people like Sheryl Sandberg and Brene Brown and Tina Fey who really walked with me through those years. And um, when I stood back and thought about how much books have impacted me, I thought, you know, there's got to be someone who could be helped by me sharing this story. And from a brand perspective, I mean, right now our books in Costco is all over Austin. And, and I say our book because actually Noonday owns the book. It's actually completely owned by Noonday. And it really is like a brand initiative. And my Angelo has this quote that says, I come as one, I stand as 10,000. And I, I might be the name on the cover, but it's really the thousands of women who've been a part of this story, the men, my business partner, um, who really just brought this whole story to life. I just feel like I'm the steward of stories. And this book was just um, a, really an instrument for me to get to share my story and the stories of our ambassadors, our artisans, and, and the home office team. And so it was with a lot of trepidation that I wrote it because it really was wasn't just it wasn't just about me it really was a group effort and I'm really representing a brand and it's been awesome for the brand you know people have discovered new day now through the book well not just that I think besides the story I don't think you're giving yourself enough credit <laughs> I, I should hold this up view from Venus I should, oh my gosh I'm I should hold this out. up for the camera I'm look at all my, look at all my <laughs> little places where I Absolutely. Mark I love things. seeing books like this, by you the way. Know, that's Mark awesome. everything. So that's beyond cool. the story, I think it's very inspiring. And I think mm, it's great yes, for yes. anyone who thinks they might want to be an entrepreneur. Because you give you give advice, but you give um, advice in a way that they could apply it to a different entrepreneurial journey. Absolutely. Absolutely. This, I did not want this book to be a like noonday sales piece and, you know, and it's not, it's not, I'm very, I'm very proud about that. Um, yeah, I really share a lot of vulnerable stories. Vulnerability and empathy are some of the key um, themes in the book. And I talk a lot about what does it look like to go together, um, how we as women need to um, really um, embrace each other's success, that her success doesn't take away from our success. In fact, when we go together, we actually just elevate the dignity and worth of women around the world. Um, so you're right. Thank you for thank you for calling that out. It definitely is a book that I'm proud of, and I poured my heart and soul into it. Absolutely. So we're going to have a Rorschach test. Okay. okay. Uh, I'm going to read you some quotes and some little pieces of the book, and then whatever you think, you tell me. You know your first reaction. Okay. okay. One of the things that I loved is you say, "Take a risk. Act boldly on behalf of something that you prize." Mm, yeah. And that was when you were talking about stepping up in front of the judge. That's right. When you were adopting your son. That's right. Which I have photographic evidence that I had to confront a judge that was over seven feet tall in Rwanda. And that came, as a woman, as a woman. Yeah, that was that took some boldness. Striving for perfection. Don't do it. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. You're the one that wrote it. Uh, well, you know, I ironically, I never identified as a perfectionist. I thought perfectionists had really clean homes and were really skinny and cooked all organic meals and all of these things. But what I realized is I, I think so much of what might have kept me from 
growing new day, maybe even starting it at one point is this idea that, well, I had to predict 100% success before I would actually lean in. And that's, that's perfectionistic thinking. And I think that's often what I see paralyzes women is this idea that we think we have to be 100% adequate, 100% resourced, 100%, um, whatever it might be the right degree or whatever before we can actually move. And so really this message is, is that story of going scared that, you know, what you can be afraid, you can be full of self-doubt, and you can go anyway. So we try to my next one, which we both are fans of Brene Brown. We both yes, know her well. Yes. Um, so you said vulnerability has magic, and the magic is in the power of sharing your story. Mm, mm. Yes, I think that one of the bravest things we can do, and my story is all about imperfect courage, and, and sometimes one of the bravest things we can do is just to stop and feel our feelings and be brave enough to say them out loud. And I think when we can say them out loud and truly an authentic way, not armoring up, not adding our own little, you know, details that are trying to fake it until we make it. And then we can do that with someone else. It's a soft place to land and we're received with empathy. Then I believe that's really where wholeness can begin to happen. And healing. Because a lot of the stories that we talk about, especially with some of the people that you've worked with in Africa, uh, require great courage. I think mm. Norbert, was that his name? Yes. Told yes. you a story that he never told anyone else about yeah. his entire family being killed in Rwanda. And, I did, and he was there when that happened. He right? was actually hiding in a tree and he heard his entire family um, get killed yeah, during the genocide. And yeah, he's a dear friend. And I'm, I carried his story with so much um, tenderness and you know, his wife told me years later after he began to share in vulnerability and finally open up, um, his wife said, Jessica, I had to come meet you because Norbert has changed. He's a different person since he began to share his story. And that's when I thought, wow, there is this is evidence that when we show up and we share and we have a soft place to land that we can begin to integrate and become whole and healed people. And so I think some of the things, and this is not, this is not in the book, but you and know, I've talked about this before and I saw it when I went, it kind of gave me chills when I went through the warehouse and picked up the different yes. scarves and pieces of, of jewelry. Those women tell their story through their jewelry first and they through do. their products mm -hmm. first. And then I think they become trusting and vulnerable enough to be able to tell you what the real story is. I love that, you know, and I do think there's something about um, physicality. Like even I went spinning this morning <laughs> and I've been on the road and I have a regular about exercise and I cried at the end, which is not super uncommon at my spin class. But, um, and I think it's because I think that there's something about like we hold our emotions in our body. Mm -hmm. And so when we're able to kind of move and, and do these things, then sometimes that brings out those emotions. So I love that you made that connection because, you know, a lot of times when I visit our, our artisans and they're sitting there just making and then they're talking and it's just like small communities of healing in places where women have gone through incredible odds and have persevered in order to get to where they are. And I love, I love the things that they come up with. And that leads to one of the things you talk about in the book is the sisterhood effect yes. and building on collaboration. And yes. the fact that it takes, it does take a village that nobody can do this on their own. Yes, it's so true. And I think oftentimes um, we have a hard time asking for help. Um, we have a hard time putting ourselves out there. We're so afraid of rejection. It's like we're still stuck at the sixth grade lunch table in our heads a little bit. And yet um, I find that you just, you can't be vulnerable alone. 
So if you, you know, are inspired by this idea of vulnerability, which obviously I think Brene Brown has made that a very popular idea, the very nature of vulnerability is that it involves other people. Mm -hmm. It involves leaning in. It involves owning owning what you perceive to be your weaknesses in order to just um, let your story be known and let that be received. And so um, I just think that, you know, there's this African proverb, and I, I don't know why it didn't make it into the book, but it says, if you want to go fast, go alone. And if you want to go far, go together. And we really are about going far. And that might mean that sometimes we grow fast and sometimes we grow slow, but we're doing it together. And, you know, we want to go far in creating opportunity for uh, women and for these people that are living in vulnerable communities around the world. And that means taking the long view. It means for me as sort of a starter, take the bull by the horns entrepreneur, it's mean, what does it mean for me to now grow leadership legs and really lead this company into the future? Well, and speaking of the future, one of the things you talk about is change the world by widening your circle of acceptance and compassion, develop a new worldview, and you can make a difference. Yeah, I think that, you know, it, it's it's interesting. You right, We drive around neighborhoods and you usually see the same political sign in every single yard. Mm-hmm. Um, you usually go to the grocery I store. I hope that's true in this election. <laughs> <laughs> well, see, that's, that's part of the problem. That's part of the problem. But I understand. I know. I know. Just I understand. Saying. I understand. Absolutely. Um, But I think the issue is we have siloed ourselves and we don't often have conversations with people that differ from us, that look differently from us, that vote differently from us, that believe differently from us. And, you know, I think that's where we start insulating our lives. We we live lives of boredom and spiritual death. And so widening our circle of compassion really means proximating yourself to people that, that are different. And um, engaging in those conversations and engaging in those relationships. And I think that's what really can develop those empathy muscles. And, you know, we're such a proponent of like, be vulnerable on your story. But it's like people got to have a soft place to land. And the only way they're going to have a soft place to land is if we become more empathetic people and we become more empathetic by widening our circles of compassion. That's why I love, do you know Kristen, I can't, I should remember her last name, that did the turquoise table? Yes. You know yeah. Oh, she's a good turquoise friend. Table. Yeah. She, she and I have very similar uh, feelings around right. these things. She's, so. she's great. And I love that. Yeah, I think yeah. that's a really good thing. Okay. Last question. We have not discussed this is, is the place that your faith plays in this. And I love this quote. In fact, I wrote it down and I put it on a, I I don't do calligraphy, but I do have better handwriting sometimes. So the place God calls you is to, is is the place, I'm going to say this again, because it's it's too good not to say it right. The place God calls you to is the place when your deep gladness and the world's hunger meets. Yes. I think that, you know, those things that make our hearts pitter patter, um, you know, as little kids, our heart would pitter patter and get excited and we would just go do. But then as adults, we become paralyzed by perfectionism or by being too concerned about the outcome. And, you know, I believe we're all called to build a flourishing world. We all can do something. Now, I hate it that some women compare their stories to mine. Like, oh, I have to go start a, you know, social fashion brand in order to change the world. No, no. I think that the world can make it a change when you just engage at the checkout line with your, the, the person who's checking you out at Target, right. you know, and really begin to just stop and see people and really see life from their perspective. And um, I think that you've been given gifts in order to help create opportunity for other people. 
Well, it was funny. Yesterday we were at that community first or first community. I can't remember the um, village for the homeless yesterday. And John Paul was talking about talking to a woman and she was a homeless. She had been homeless Mm -hmm. previously. She had been there for two years. And she said, you know, you give so much because he was there to make another million six donation. And she said, "Um, I don't really have anything to give. And he said, you're wrong. He said, Mm -hmm. you gave me something important today. And she said, what's that? And he said, when I walked up, you smiled at me. Oh, I love that. And that was so sweet. You know, that is so, it's so true. Everybody has something they can give. We all have something to give. And I think oftentimes when we focus on what we don't have or we focus on what other people have, we actually miss what we have. And we have so much. Each one of us, no one has excuse for that. We've each been given so much. We've each been, you know, and I I say this, we've been created in the image of a creator, a a good God, and we have something to bring to bear on on this earth. Well, and I think your faith has inspired you to keep going with this as well. You know, not only to start it, but to keep going. Because I know it hasn't all been lollipops and roses. It has not. It has not. (laughs) Thank you so much. I appreciate it. And I'm so proud of you. Thank you. Keep going. Thank you. I will. I will. With you cheering me on. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks. Thank you, Jessica, for sharing your story with us. If you enjoy listening to Jessica, you can hear more from her on her podcast, Going Scared. We'll put a link to her podcast in the show notes. The View from Venus team includes me, Deborah Hamilton Lynn, producer Mariah Gossett, and audio engineer Jake Wallace. Thank you, everyone at Founding Media, for your support. View from Venus is available at iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening.